This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. I invite you to hear today a word of life that comes to us from the Gospel of John. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. I'll have the Cobb salad with the nuggets well done and a small fry with the fries well done. Anything else? No, but thank you. My pleasure. I drive around. The cheerful person at the window hands me exactly what I've ordered. He doesn't even cuss me for ordering well-done nuggets and well-done fries at the drive-thru, which is totally obnoxious, I drive away. Everything about that interaction was pleasant and efficient. I got exactly what I wanted, and it was quick and easy and safe and clean. How often have I wished that life with Jesus was like that drive through experience at the Chick-fil-A? I wait patiently in my car, not for too long, of course, without having to interact with any other people. 
Then I pull up to the window and I say to Jesus, I would like an easy life, please, full of joy and personal fulfillment, minus any pain, minus any struggle, and I would like confirmation right now that there's a heaven and I'll be there. And I would also like to submit a list of people that I think should not be there. (laughs) Anything else Jesus would say? No, but thank you. My pleasure. The challenge with today's gospel story is that we've often read it with Chick-fil-A eyes. Somewhere, somehow, in the past 2,000 years, we decided that this story from John gives us a formula that will allow us to coast through a spiritual drive through say a few words and coast on out with eternal life wrapped up in a paper bag next to us. Quick and easy and safe and clean. The 16th verse is perhaps the main culprit. John 3.16 has been painted on signs and hung in trees along the highway. It's been tattooed on arms. It's been worn on black patches underneath football players' eyes. It's been called the gospel in a nutshell. As if in these 25 words, you have all you need to know about Jesus and the way of salvation. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Everyone who believes in him seems to be the hinge in the sentence. That is, there's this sense that if you just say the right words, if you say, I believe in Jesus, Jesus is my Savior, if you say those words out loud, then you can drive on through and pick up your eternal salvation. (laughs) Quick and easy and safe and clean. And of course, ipso facto, all the people who don't say, I believe in Jesus, Jesus is my Savior, for all the people who don't say those words out loud, well, they're toast, right? (laughs) Rather than pointing to this passage as proof of God's unending desire to be in relationship with us, we have seen it used as a weapon to say you haven't said the right words to prove your belief in Jesus. No chicken sandwich for you. No eternal salvation coming your way. We've used John 3.16 to give us a quick and easy and safe and clean way to decide who is in and who is out in God's kingdom. But I would bet my well-done chicken that Jesus thinks we've done a serious hack job on this story from John. When Nicodemus visits Jesus in the middle of the night, Jesus doesn't say anything about quick and easy and safe and clean. The challenge with passages that are well-known, this frequently and loudly used, is that it's hard for us to hear what the story might actually be saying. So I hope that today we can maybe even turn down the volume on a story that's often been shouted at us and hear the invitation that Jesus is offering, not not to a drive-through promise of heaven, but to a life lived now in the kingdom of God. 
So in the middle of the night, a Pharisee, a leader of the Jews, he knocks on the door where Jesus is staying. And we can assume that he was visiting at night because he did not want to be seen with Jesus or associated with him. The Pharisees, as you may know, were a group of people that followed the letter of the law and their feathers were getting terribly ruffled by the things that Jesus was teaching and doing. But there was something, something intriguing enough to Nicodemus that he sets out in the middle of the night to talk to Jesus. And Jesus, we can imagine, stumbles to the door and as he opens it, Nicodemus starts to make nice. He says, Rabbi, we know that you have to be a teacher who comes from God because nobody else can perform the miracles that you're performing without the help of God. It's like he's saying, hey, Jesus, uh, my friends may not like you, but I'm going to give you credit where credit is due. And Maybe it's because it's late, or maybe it's because the niceties of this conversation have been cut out over the years, but Jesus doesn't say thank you. He does not banter. He doesn't ask questions. He just launches into a monologue. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one can be in on this thing that I'm doing in the world unless you've been born from above. Now, Jesus doesn't say anything about heaven or words that we might say out loud in order to get there. Jesus doesn't say, here is the quick and easy and safe and clean formula for living a life with me. Jesus just says, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you need to be birthed from above. Now, Nicodemus pushes back a little bit. He may think that they're just having this little joshing back and forth. Like, right, Jesus, a grown person can be born again. Can you really climb back inside your mama and start over? But Jesus isn't joshing. He says, unless you're born again, born from above, Born from water and the spirit. He uses all the phrases he can think of. You need to be a part of the labor process if you're going to see the kingdom of God. If you're going to be in on this thing that I'm doing in the world. Now it's no small thing that Jesus said we need to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. Because Jesus could have offered any number of analogies. He could have said, you need to be opened up like a flower in order to see the kingdom of God. You need to be cracked open like a pecan in order to see the kingdom of God. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, we need to be born again. And I, I read that and I think, oh, Jesus, that sounds lovely. Sounds beautiful, everything fresh and new, all of our lives before us. And maybe it's because our oldest celebrated a birthday this week and I was having all of those nostalgic feelings about the day that he was born. I just, I read this passage and I got some warm fuzzies. I thought about holding when, when he was a baby 11 years ago. How his, his warm little body nestled into the crook of my arm. About how his, his fresh skin was so squishy and his head smelled so good. And I thought maybe that's what it takes to see the kingdom of God. To be a vulnerable, frail, snuggly, content, smelling good baby. 
And naturally, I was feeling those feelings, and so I texted my husband, and I said, how about that third baby? (laughs) Very quickly wrote back, no. (laughs) He said to me, have you forgotten what it takes to bring babies into the world? It's very grumpy and non-compliant response forced me to remember that Jesus didn't tell Nicodemus that he needed to be a baby in order to see the kingdom, rather that he needed to be born again, that he needed to be labored once again into the world. And no, I, I have not forgotten what it takes to bring babies into the world. I remembered how when we were preparing for that birth, our labor and delivery teacher gave us a harrowing account of the birth process. I remember how she told us that the the pressure starts to build up around the baby's rear end, slowly tightening and pushing them forward. How the pressure builds around the head as though the baby is wearing a very tight turtleneck. How, How the contractions and the tightening continue and the intensity grows until the pressure finally propels the baby through the birth canal and into the world. And of all of that pressure and pushing and squeezing weren't traumatic enough, our labor and delivery teacher reminded us. Then the baby experiences those first few moments outside of the womb. Their lungs fill with air for the first time as they are ejected into this cold room with bright lights and unknown faces and sounds. Imagine how disorienting that will be for your baby, our teacher said. How confusing, even terrifying. And this, Jesus tells Nicodemus, is what must happen in order for us to see the kingdom of God. Pain and discomfort and disorientation, perhaps a wilderness that you have experienced before or are experiencing even now. If you've spent any time walking with Jesus, you know that these things come with the territory. You know that living a life with Jesus is not a a wordy endeavor where we drive up and say the right phrase and then receive this eternal life in a bag. Jesus says that life with him is found outside of warm wombs. Life is found in places that make us uncomfortable, that push us, that disorient us, in wilderness places that leave us wondering where we are and what we're doing. Places that are not clean or quick or easy or safe. Now, for Nicodemus, this might have meant walking away from the warm womb of his circle of friends, stepping away from the safety that he found among the other Jewish leaders so that he could walk on the margins with Jesus. For you, it may mean leaving the warm womb of familiarity and sitting down and having a conversation with someone whose vote is going to cancel yours out in November. It may mean leaving the womb of comfort in order to eat with people who have no home or who suffer with mental illness or sitting with someone whose language you do not speak. It may mean leaving the womb of apathy 
and getting out there and protesting something that is antithetical to the gospel. It may mean leaving the warm womb of surety and saying out loud, I have more questions about God than I have answers. It may mean leaving the womb of loneliness and saying out loud to other people, I am in a place of wilderness and I need your help. Leaving the womb will call us to situations that are scary and foreign. It will cause us to love people when we'd rather turn away. It will call us to be born again and again and again into one glorious yet terrifying birth after another. It's not about a drive through experience, about reciting the right words and marking saved on our heavenly report card. God is inviting us into a life that is so much bigger than that. Being born again is messy and disorienting. It's a life-altering experience that saves us in this life. And that does scare me. Until I remember again the question that my husband asked me. Did you forget what it takes to bring babies into this world? It reminds me that being born again doesn't just affect the baby who's being birthed, it affects the one who does the bearing. I've not forgotten what it takes to bring babies into this world. It was brutal and it was beautiful. And for some people that brutal and that beautiful means waiting to find a spouse with whom you can bring life. For some, it comes from trying and trying and trying to conceive. For some, it comes when you're pregnant. Bringing new life into the world always requires waiting and heartache and sickness and swelling and sweating and longing. Longing. Not to mention that shocking realization that comes when you hold new life in your arms and realize that you have to let it live. The terror that comes with releasing a child into the world knowing that anything could happen. Bearing life into the world is anything but quick and clean and easy and safe. And yet, who wouldn't do it all again in a second? And heartbeat. The waiting, the sickness, the discomfort, the crankiness, the pain of contraction, the fear that comes when you release someone you love into the world, knowing that you have to let them live, knowing that anything can happen to this one that you love so desperately. Even with all of this, we would do it again in a second. And isn't this the story of our God? The one who is with us in the wilderness, even as we are being birthed into places that disorient and frighten us. When Jesus tells Nicodemus that seeing the kingdom of God requires being born again, he's not just talking about the work that we must do in order to experience this life. Jesus is reminding Nicodemus of the work that God is engaged in on our behalf. 
the one who bears us into new life. With all of the waiting and the, the pain and the sickness and the longing, God labors us into new life and then sits back, holding that shocking realization, the fear that comes in knowing that life is vulnerable, that a child you send into the world can be killed on a cross, that your children can and will choose the death of a safe drive through faith because it's quick and easy and safe and clean. And yet, wouldn't God do it all again in a heartbeat for the chance to see us experience life in all of its breathtaking goodness? In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.